it will relate to Hebrews, so that's a blessing. Matthew chapter 11, let's begin in verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you meet us right where we're at. You're so good to us. What a good shepherd you are to us. Thank you that you're also the true and faithful witness. We see you as an example of how to live, Lord, and we want to please you by our lives. We want to have our lives express worship to you in everything we do and say and think, in every motive that we have. But we know, Lord, that's beyond our capacity. So we pray, Lord, that you would use this passage and others this morning to make us more like you and to make us uh, a sacrifice that's pleasing to your sight, Lord, by your grace and by your power. Set this time aside for your holy use. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we were in Hebrews, as we have been, and we focused on believers entering God's rest and got into a little bit about what that means for the Christian and what it doesn't mean for the Christian. If you didn't hear it, recommend going on our website and downloading that and listening to it. But I was very blessed by the response from you and others that hear the messages around the country or world or wherever, Mars. Um, and I was really blessed by the response. It was, it was I'm, you know, the Holy Spirit really ministered to very specific people, all of us, of course, it's his word, but just unique situations that were going on in people's lives. And so the Lord interrupted everything this week and just kind of showed me that we need to focus in a little bit more on the same type of theme about God's rest and, and understanding what that means and what it doesn't mean and some other things related to it as well. Now, as we saw, the Old Testament Jews, they rejected God's word. And as we've seen, they didn't mix God's word and what he said and what his promises were with faith. We have to mix what he says to us with faith and trust because he takes it very personally when we don't. And as we've seen, as we've studied through Hebrews, those that did not believe his word in the Old Testament related to how he was going to provide victory for them in the promised land, when they got to, to the promised land, or in the fact that they could even possess it without being utterly wiped out, uh, he took that very personally. He received that as them rejecting him. It wasn't just, you just reject what I say. It's, they, you know, it, I'm, I'm taking this personally. You reject what I say to you, you're rejecting me. It's a very strong warning. It's, it's supposed to produce incredible sobriety within us. And we were told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, this, 
Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And then verses 9 through 11 in chapter 4, we saw him say this, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So as we've seen, the Old Testament Jews ages 20 and older who were alive at the time when God pronounced basically judgment on them, that he wasn't going to allow those people to ever see the promised land. And, and that was a true promise. He, he kept to his, his word on that for sure. And so as we've seen, for believers, it means something a little bit different. Obviously, we don't have an earthly hope. We have a heavenly hope. And as believers, God's rest, as we touched on last week, is something entirely different. It's all about trusting in Christ. That as a Christian, to become a Christian, you cease from your religious works trying to be justified in the sight of God by your religious performance. And thus, you're trusting in Christ alone to pay your way to heaven, and you get the Holy Spirit deposited inside of us as a deposit, as a down payment, as earnest money, so to speak, telling us that we are going to get a new body someday. Romans makes that very, very clear. So we came to Christ, though most of us in this room. There were a point in time, and for me it was, actually I'm celebrating 23 years, I believe, this month. There came a point in time where I surrendered my life to Christ. And he came in, and he changed my life undeniably. Nobody could argue with that. There's so many weird things that I stopped doing, and they were impressed with that, of course. But just the fact that I started to even want to talk to people and even care about people whatsoever. I was telling the guys on the way back from the men's retreat a little bit about my testimony and how this girl that I was interested in wasn't Sandy. Uh, she was very much resistant to my approaches to her, or however you want to say it. I don't want to say advances because it, it wouldn't fit, but my pursuing of her. And she said, you need to come to church. And I, I didn't want to come to church. One of the reasons why I didn't want to come to church is because I knew she knew a lot of people. And I said, I don't want to be around anybody to say nothing of all those people. I just didn't like people. I mean, that's how much God can work in a life to make someone that is as, as if they've been a people person their whole life. I feed off people. I love relationships. I love spending time with people. I'd rather do that than just about anything. But that's because Christ has changed my heart. And, I'm, and for that, I'm very thankful. So we came to Christ. He changed our lives. We stopped ceasing from our religious works to try to earn right favor with him. And then we entered into his rest. We ceased from our works. Jesus became our Sabbath at that point. And that was the whole point in Hebrews, that Jesus is a better Sabbath. He's a better Sabbath rest. But as we looked at last week, there are implications to entering God's rest. The results from entering into that salvation that we as Christians often don't walk in. At least not in the way that God may want us to walk in. Because if we're really entered God's rest spiritually, that overflows into every part of my life. It overflows into how I relate to God. It overflows into what I do for God or how I do things for God. It overflows into every area of my life. And so it's describing the victorious Christian life. You know, as I mentioned, Egypt has always been a picture of the world. So Egypt, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They were tempted. They had revisionist history going on in their minds, thinking it was so wonderful when things got difficult. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. 
And that's how it is for us as believers. Sometimes we're tempted and we have this false view of how bad it was to live in this world and, and, and how horrible it was to live under self-rule. <laughs> How'd you do with your life before you came to Christ? I mean, I wasn't, maybe you were doing really well as far as the world was concerned. That wasn't me. That wasn't, I wasn't that guy. And, and, but he took my life and he made it into something beautiful, a testimony of his grace. But the, Egypt has always been a type of the world and going back to the world. And the promised land for the Christian is not represented, been represented biblically by heaven. Now, as I said last week, there's these hymns that talk about entering the promised land and the pearly gates and all of that. But it's really talking about something else. It's talking about the abundant, victorious Christian life. When we were saved, as I mentioned, we entered God's rest. We entered into Canaan, so to speak. But then there's the whole issue of being a good steward of being in Canaan. Or being in what's represented as Canaan in a type sense in our lives. God has expectations related to how we're supposed to live our lives. He did for the Jews back then. He had expectations for them when they came into that land what they were supposed to do. And, and they were supposed to take all of the land. Under Joshua, they didn't take all of the land. The borders that they took were different from what God said belongs to you. They didn't conquer all the people. And all that did was cause problems for them. If they would have done that, there would have been a totally different uh, environment for them in which to live in the land of, of, of Israel. So they didn't claim all of that. And because they didn't do that, they, as I mentioned, they paid a price for that. And, 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 and same for us as believers. Because the victorious Christian life is what God's aiming at in each one of our lives. So often we think that God's grace goes all the way up to point to salvation. And then from salvation, we really don't really engage in God's grace very much. But as we've mentioned in the past, that nothing could be further from the truth. We're going to be exploring the riches of God's grace for all eternity. He, many times the, the apostles wrote to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's aiming at us living in the promised land, the abundant life. We're in the promised land in the sense that we're saved, and that's true. But there's, there's different aspects of walking in the promised land, so to speak, that have to do with victory. It has to do with uh, entering and living within God's rest in a, in a way that God intended. We entered God's rest when we came to know Christ. But there's a, a living context or how we should function within that rest that he's working at that I touched on a little bit that the Holy Spirit really apparently zeroed in on in some of our hearts that really blessed us and I'm again thankful for that but just like the Jews he has expectations for us related to properly enjoying that rest some of us go around in our Christian walk and people would never know that we're resting spiritually, that he's, he's giving us refreshment and we're resting in him and our souls are refreshed all the time, myself included. We can get very uh, encumbered by different things that we allow to take over in our lives and, and thus we are not living a victorious Christian life. So let's look at our text and go through these verses then we're going to go to another whole passage. And in verse 25 of Matthew 11, he says, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Now, here the Lord Jesus is he's giving thanks to the Father for not revealing his truth to those that were wise in their own eyes, but that those that knew that they weren't spiritually uh, you know, abundantly 
prospering at the moment. You know, he's thanking God for that. He reveals all of this truth to the simple. I love just our movement where so many of the leaders were X whatever. You can look at the Harvest book there and read uh, all the, you know, society's outcasts God called to be the leaders in our movement. And, of course, there's many that aren't in that category, but there are many that are. And I love that he just takes the simple and the foolish things of this world to confound the wise because he gets glory. But the world rejects certain types of people. Most of us were those people. <laughs> and not, they don't respect them, they don't look up to them, and they don't have the privileges of you know, a certain pedigree and, and, and so forth. And so here he says, I thank you that you revealed these things to babes. And so he's, he's thanking God for the privilege of revelation. Jesus at one point said, I, I call you friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing. So he's saying that because of my intimacy with you, I'm giving you information that other people don't have. And that's what, that's what happens as, as believers. We receive his revelation in his word, and he has expectations related to that uh, revelation that's been deposited into our lives. And he, he says it's not just good enough to learn it, but we have to obey it. But he says here, he's thanking, and this is important related to his invitation that we're coming up on at the end of the verses. He's not just, he's not speaking this just to anybody. He's speaking it to babes, those that are unwise as far as this world's concerned, that recognize their need for God, that are hungry, that are seeking, and so forth. Jesus at one point said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who know that they are sick, because everybody's sick. Those that claim to be righteous are really sick because they, don't, they have a self-dependence and, and a trust in themselves. And so we're all spiritually sick before Christ. But those who know and admit it that they're spiritually sick get healed because they admit their need, they humble themselves, they go to God, and God meets their need. But those who assess that they don't have any need for it, they, can, they, they struggle because God says you have to come my way and humble yourself. And that was true then, and it's true today in, in the lives of people in this world. But then he says, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. It's interesting, at the end of verse 27 and the verse 28, you see election and free will working perfectly together. Because he says there, he, he will reveal himself to the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's election. That's God's sovereignty. Then he says, come to me all. The word all is there. All you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy laden. Usually in the scriptures, when it talks about election or predestination, somewhere in there also talks about our, our responsibility to choose. And it's a perfect balance when you see it. But he starts with this, come to me. And I love that. It's very personal. He's not saying, come to a doctrine. He's not saying, come to a church. He's not saying, come to a, a mediator that you have to go through to get to me, like Mary or the church or saints or anybody else. He says, come directly to me. That, that veil that was rent from top to bottom that separated the, the holy place from the most holy place when he died on that cross was rent from top to bottom, revealing that we have complete access into uh, heaven. And in Hebrews, we're, we're going to get to, I think, next week, where he says, come boldly into the throne room of grace. Any person that sets himself up as a mediator between God and man, that offends God. 
And I want to say that with the strictest bluntness that I can say it. It offends God. He went through so much to break through all these barriers that were there that needed to be there. He set it up that way related to the priesthood and so forth. But he died on that, when he died on that cross, that whole priesthood ended. Every priesthood ended. And, and so he says, come to me all you, everybody. Come to me who labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden means to be weighted down, to be burdened. You know, in the 70s, you had station wagons. We had a station wagon. I would hide all kinds of things in those little plastic compartments in the back. You know, and the seats fold up and you get to go driving down the road going backwards and you get nauseous and all kinds of fun things would happen back there. But when we'd go on trips, we'd load up the station wagon. It was heavy laden. It was loaded down. And, and that's what he's saying. All of you, come to me, everybody, all of you, babes, those that, that know that you have a true need, come to me, all you are working, you are, you are striving, you are working hard to have a relationship with me based on your works. You're weighted down by cares, but I will give you what we've been talking about, rest, spiritual rest. It's beautiful. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now he's already said come, now he says take. So he says come to me, then I want you to do something when you come to me. I want you to take something from me. And he's calling all of mankind to come and take, and he wants him to take his yoke. Now last week we talked about a yoke is something that connects two animals. And the animals are supposed to be equal because if they're not, then the yoke will make one injured over the other because they won't be matched up equally. And so he says my yoke is easy. He's saying, take that which connects me and you. Take that which connects us. Take it upon yourself because it is easy. And he says, learn from me. I love that. It reminds me of Mary when she sat at Jesus' feet. And Martha was busy. And Jesus didn't criticize Martha. Didn't say that she was wasting her time or that she shouldn't have been serving but when there's a choice between sitting at Jesus' feet when you should be sitting at his feet and doing noble and great things, we need to choose the better thing. And, and, and that, that can be hard for some of us, very difficult for some of us. And so he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. He sure is gentle. He's appropriate, isn't he? He's appropriate with all of us. In our weakest and most vulnerable moments, he's gentle. He was harsh with who? With whom? However you say it. I don't have my speaking spell with me, so I get the grammar wrong. But uh, He was harsh with the Pharisees who didn't think they needed help, that were prideful. He said the harshest things to them. They were true. They were loving. He was reaching out to them. The whole prodigal son uh, story there has a really good uh, application related to people that were prideful in the, in the, in the other son. Not the prodigal, but the, the, the second prodigal, the one that never left but was a prodigal in his heart. God was trying to reach those Pharisees during, when, when he was saying that account there. When he was saying that story, he, he was trying to reach those Pharisees. He loves them too, but the things that he said that were the most gentle and tender were to the people that were just what was called the common people. And he reached out to them. He was never harsh with any of them. Even the, 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 the demoniac that you would think that he would be really harsh with. Or maybe you might say the woman at the well. 
She had multiple husbands, and now she's living with someone, not harsh with any of them, loving, respectful, but yet he told them the truth. And that's a perfect, obvious model for us as believers in how, we supposed, how we're supposed to share our faith, to be gentle, loving, and gracious, but don't be afraid to tell the truth. That's what God calls us to. But he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's humble. His humility is one of the most beautiful things about him. Didn't come to this world with, you know, how you would think a king would come to this world. And he produces that humility in people. And it's the result of walking in his rest. The restful life is a trusting life. And when you're not putting yourself first to get ahead, but putting others first in humility, then God blesses that in, in our lives. So then he says, for my yoke or that which connects us is easy and my burden is light. He said, don't worry about what I'm going to require. Remember I said last week, and they came to him and said, what must we do to do the works of God? And he said, believe him, believe on him whom he has sent. That's the works of God. And if we were engaged in that, then everything else falls into place. The Apostle John talked about God's commandments and his burden and so forth in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, where he said this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, so we hear that, and then we add Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's kind of where the cognitive dissonance or the, or the believing contradictory things all at the same time happens in us. Uh, how can that be possible? All these things are true. We believe God's word. We believe the whole panoply of Scripture. We believe that, that Scripture interprets Scripture. We believe every single verse. We can't isolate one to the neglect of the other. And here God is saying all these things. He's saying, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But then he also says he wants to give us rest for our souls and enjoy a spiritual life of rest. Then John says his commandments are not burdensome. And then yet I'm created for good works. and I'm supposed to be zealous for good works. How is all that possible? The law of non-contradiction is at work in my mind here. Both contradictory things cannot be true all at the same time in the same way. How is that possible? Some of us are type A personalities. Before I came to know Christ, I was a type Z. <laughs> it was like moving in slow motion, not in a hurry to get nowhere fast. Some of us are, are, are kind of type A people, and they're okay. Okay, I'm saved. Whew, okay, now what do I do? You know, I need to get busy. I don't have time to rest. I got things to do spiritually speaking, and we can strive. And there may be a lot of things he, he hasn't called us to do that we're doing. This is true in myself in the past, and at times even now, and also other people that I've talked to or heard speak. And, and I'm amazed at how we Christians can make plans and make decisions, and I never hear, m most of the time, say anything about, I prayed about it, I sought the Lord, I fasted and prayed, I, I, you know, we just make decisions left and right all the time. I don't see that in the life of Jesus. He's our standard. Now, obviously, we're all going to grow in those things and get better over time, but we have to take these things before the Lord. And that's why we're going to see in chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews when he says, lay aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with perseverance. A weight can be a Christian liberty. It can be something that everyone around us would say, oh yeah, you should totally be engaged in that. Of course you should be doing that. Why wouldn't you do that? It's common sense. But if, if we prayed about it, the Lord would say, no, 
That's not what I have for you to do. And you say, well, so-and-so can do that. You're, what do you say to your kids? You're not so-and-so. You're you. You have a very unique ministry. You have a very unique calling. You have a unique, you, uh, a unique family and circumstances. So our Christian liberties are that which we have to bring before him and say, I need to take that before the Lord. I really need to seek him. The people that I know that are the most mature and growing believers, especially as they get older in the things of the Lord, I see them simplifying their lives, not expanding and becoming more and more busy. They're getting simpler and simpler, and they, don't, they even want to talk about things in a simpler way. It's like God just takes away these things, and they're less cumbersome. And the people that I respect the most in ministry and being used by the Lord say no to so many things so they can say yes to the few things that God's called them to so they can do them well by the grace of God. At first, you want to say yes to everything. Oh, there's an opportunity here. I'm going to do that. There's an opportunity here. I need to do that. And, and you think, oh, I need to serve because there's needs. Well, there's always going to be needs. Jesus didn't heal everybody. He didn't go to every city. He didn't go to every town. He, he, was, he was led by his father. You remember in Mark chapter 1, he just got done ministering to a, to a city, I think it was Capernaum, and he's praying and, and early in the morning, and I think it's Peter came to him and says, everybody's looking for you. And, and they're sensing momentum. We've got to build on this momentum. People are receiving you. They're, you're being you know, looked at in a, in a different way. We need to continue on this. He's, no, this isn't why I've, I've come. I've come to, to come to the other cities too. His plans made no sense to people around the Lord Jesus at times. And, and God will lead us and direct us in ways that make no sense at all to people around us potentially. But it's what he's called us to do. And that's what the most important thing is related to not overdoing things that we're not called to do because we won't live a, a restful life being busy about his business in a, in, where our souls are being refreshed and we're not striving because he doesn't want us to strive. That, that is the last thing he wants. He wants rest for our souls. We can think... I can't enjoy rest for my soul and do all these things he's called me to. Well, he may not have called you to do all the things that you think. But let's say you've got all that squared away, and now you know, okay, I have these things that I'm called to do. And so if that's the case, then we have to take those things before the Lord. And there's a certain way that he wants us to accomplish those things. We see the things that we've been called to, and we have to be ready to do them in the way that he in the way in which he's called us to do them. Look at Jesus. I mentioned this last week. Talk about busy. The guy was the guy that's obviously not real reverent, but the the Lord was very busy. I have often wondered why did he fall asleep at the bottom of that boat when the storm was so amazing? How could he possibly fall asleep? But he was so physically exhausted from serving the Father, from being up and spending time with the Father before the sun came up. He was, his, he was very, so you can be restful in your soul and be physically tired. But there's a difference between that and striving and taking on things you shouldn't do or doing things in such a way that you're not doing it in his strength. You're doing it in your own strength. And that doesn't contribute towards having a restful life and having rest for your soul and not in thinking that this yoke is pretty hard. It's not easy. His burden is not light. It's pretty heavy because maybe you're carrying things or doing things in a way that's not by his power. So God has chosen us to do good works through the power of the Spirit, and he's given us the same capacity 
to utilize the Spirit's ministry in our lives as, as he did. The Lord Jesus didn't walk around using his, his prerogatives, in, in a sense, or his walking in his deity to, to the extent to which we might expect. He was empowered by the Spirit. He wanted to be an example for us. And he knows that we need that. And that's what I really want to focus on today. In light of resting, in light of the abundant life he's called us to, we know we can't do it in our own strength. So there's a solution somewhere. How are we supposed to do it? Well, I want us to turn to John's Gospel. And you can leave your place here. We won't return to it. Go to John's Gospel, chapter 14. And I want us to go through couple chapters here, a few areas, just to highlight the solution to living a a victorious Christian life and walking in the way that we should walk. You know, in John chapter 14, this is the night before you go to the cross, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. He's saying things to them that they really need to hear to be able to survive (laughs) what's going to happen. And even then they were scattered. But if he hadn't said these things, It would have been a lot worse, I'm sure. But he starts speaking of this helper called the Holy Spirit. And this is important because, as I said, we can't live this restful life and this fruitful life all at the same time because one doesn't have to compete against the other if we're we're doing things the way that he was called us to do them. But he's, he's, he's called us to have this helper, to have this a relationship with the Spirit. Do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, he doesn't have a name, you know, a technical name. So I don't know if I'm supposed to have a relationship with him. Yeah, we are. The, the, you see in the, in the Old Testament that, that the Holy Spirit's mentioned. But this, there was something new to his ministry and who he is, was and is that was new to them. That was a part of progressive revelation of God continuing to unfold who he is and his plan to God's people. They knew all about the Spirit. They knew that he was supposed to come inside of us eventually. Ezekiel prophesied about it in Ezekiel 36. He said this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll take the stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I think I said it right. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So they knew that from the, from the Old Testament that God was going to possess his people and make their hard heart into a heart of stone by his spirit and write this law in their hearts and so forth. And so they knew that. But what they didn't really have a grasp on is the personality of the Holy Spirit. And between chapters 14 and 16, I believe it's 16 times that the Holy Spirit uses the personal pronoun he to describe that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, people fight against that. The cults fight against that. They say you can't quench a person. You can't, you know, you can't. uh, There's all these terms that we describe the Holy Spirit with. But there's also plenty of times where we're talking about people lying to the Spirit. You can't lie to a force. Where you know he's called God, and he, but there's so many places where he refers to him as a person. You know, there's a a place where they said it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. You know, so that he had and he has personality, and that was that was new to them. So Jesus begins to speak to these Jewish disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to be a unique help to them 
in their time of need related to living the life that he's called them to live. So he says in in chapter 14, verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that there that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? I love those people that in class, you know, they, everybody's confused, but they have the guts to raise their hand and say, I don't understand. And then you're all relieved that this person spoke up because you, they're asking the question that you didn't want to ask because you didn't want to look stupid. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of the same type of thing. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or do you not believe that? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, this is very important for us to see. We don't usually link Jesus talking about the Father and him and him and the Father and all of that to preparing them to understand about the helper. But it's very much connected because he's saying you're going to have that intimacy because you're going to have the Spirit. And because I'm in the Father and he's in me, you're gonna, we're going to be able to have a communion with you in a way that you could never dream of because I'm going to put uh, the Spirit inside of you and you're going to become the Holy of Holies. So that was very important for them to see. So that's why he's saying the Father is in me and I am in the Father and all these. And he's going to continue that along that line uh, uh, forthcoming. He says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. So he's continuing in that. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So he's talking about works now. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And look at these subjects he's talking about. Preparing them for the, to, to understand about the Holy Spirit. He's saying there's intimacy in our relationship. Father's in me, I'm in the Father and so forth. And he's also talking about works. So he's introducing the subject of works to them that they're going to do great things. And God's going to do those things in their lives. And that's why he says in verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that seems to be placed in there in a way that, why, why did God put it there? Why would God put in there, ask anything that you want in my name? Because he's talking about living the Christian life. He's preparing him to have the Holy Spirit as, as a helper there. And he's talking about intimate relationship. The Father's in the Son, the Son's in the Father. He's going to say that you're going to, you're going to be in us, we're going to be in you, and so forth. And, and I want you to know you can ask anything. In other words, you don't have the capacity to live what I'm calling you to live and to do the things that are even greater than I'm doing. You don't have that capacity. But I'm going to give you someone that will give you the capacity. And whatever you say, because of my relationship with you and the intimacy with which we get to enjoy that relationship, you can ask anything. So yes, you don't have the capacity in your own strength to do anything to live this life. But you ask me and I will do it. Notice the end of verse 14. I will do it. He doesn't say you will do it. 
doesn't says, I will give you the power and you will do it, although that is true. He's emphasizing that he's going to do the work. That's important for us to see. And he does it because of the Holy Spirit. Very important for us to see. Have you ever, have you ever hired anyone to do a job for you? Hired a subcontractor or someone? They do the work for you, right? Well, if you're building like a, let's say a mall, you're building a mall, like we need another mall, right? <laughs> um, you're building a mall and you're the general contractor and you know the whole plan. You've been hired by the owner of the mall that's going to be built and you hire every single subcontractor. Now, are you working as a, as a general contractor? You are, but you're not really the one that's doing the actual work. You're being directed by the builder to find agents for you or people that can actually accomplish the tasks. And that's exactly what it's like in the Christian life. We get the, we get the idea or the plans or the direction from the Father or, or the Lord Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit is the agent, the kind of the subcontractor, so to speak, that actually accomplishes the work. So yes, I'm still being engaged in good works, but I'm not actually doing the work. That's why Jesus said at the end of verse 14, I will do it. It's like, it's like saying through the Spirit, the Spirit's going to do the work. He will do it for you. He will take care of everything. And I love that picture because it, we can relate to it. And there's rest in that. When you are overseeing a project and you have general, I mean, subcontractors and they're, they're proficient and sufficient for the job, you're not worried about whether things are going to get done. You know they're going to get done. They're going to get done well. And you can walk in peace. You can walk in rest. Spiritually speaking, we plug in our situation. You walk in peace because you know he's going to do the work. I don't have to do the work. I don't have to do all those things that are impossible that I could never dream of accomplishing. He's called us to a supernatural life. We forget that, don't we? I forget that. Turn the other cheek. Don't, don't, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't hate people <laughs> you know love your enemies uh, don't you know all these things that go way beyond walking the extra mile um, forgiving unconditionally endless times I mean our sinful nature is a monster within us and we have to you know by the spirit put those things in, in into submission by the spirit of God it's a hard life it's a supernatural life and all he's saying is I'm going to do the work for you but you have to let me do the work what if the contractor the general contractor wouldn't let the subcontractors do the subcontractors do the work and he said no I'm not going to entrust that to you I know you can do it but I'm going to do it I'm going to build this whole mall by myself what would happen he'd get fried he'd get worn out he'd get burned out he would get frustrated and he'd be unsuccessful but that's our that's the picture of us sometimes because we are trying to do everything in our own strength at times he says in verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I want to just focus on the word another in verse 16 in Greek there's a word for another of the same kind and there's a word for another of a different kind so they can be very precise when they say bring me another another pop-tart uh, well, are you saying, okay, I know from Greek now it's that strawberry one because it's another the same kind you just woofed down. 
Uh, or maybe it's a chocolate one because I said in, in, in Greek, you know, give me another of a different kind. They know that. We, don't, we have to use other things to help describe. But here Jesus uses the word another of the same kind. He's saying, you're not going to be lacking anything. I'm going to give you a helper that's just like me. Just like me. And he's not going away. He's going to abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And the world can't see him. He's with you. Remember, these disciples weren't born again yet. The spirit was with him, them. And then after he rose from the dead, he breathed on them. They received regeneration. The spirit came in them and indwelt them. And then in Acts chapter 2, they had the spirit come upon them and had the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to do a study on that? You can look on Acts chapter 1 in our, on our website when we went through the book of Acts and I go over that in depth. Then he says something beautiful in verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. It's a perfect picture. How desperate and how needy are orphans? How many of us have seen orf an orphanage? Raise your hand if you've seen a, been to an orphanage, a handful of us. I went to one in Russia. It broke my heart. There were hundreds. I don't know if it's hundreds. There was over a hundred. And they were so needy. And it's, what a perfect picture. Because you can't be any more dependent uh, on somebody else than when you're an orphan and, 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 and lacking sufficiency to handle life. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. Notice he says, I will come. That's speaking that Jesus is the same being as the Holy Spirit. There's three in the one. He doesn't say the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit will come to you, but he also says, I will come to you. He's saying that they're the same. They're part of the same Godhead. They're part of the same God there. And so the Holy Spirit is divine, Jesus is divine, but they're all with the Father, the one God. He says in verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see you no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Now see, before he was talking about the Father and the Son and the Son and the Father. Now he includes the disciples. He, he was going somewhere with this. And it's only possible because of the agent of the Holy Spirit that comes inside of us. And because of that, we can have that intimacy with God and be connected with him in the way that we are. Romans 8, 11, I love that verse. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will also raise your bodies to life. He gave us the spirit as a down payment. And that's how we have that intimacy. So those that who are alive at the rapture, when that occurs... The Holy Spirit inside them is going to be the, 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 the means by which their body is changed into, into their new body. It's going to be a, a wonderful thing. Verse 21. He who loves or has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And I want to highlight the word manifest there at the end of verse 21. He's talking about a manifestation in us so that we can obey him. Not just for the sake of manifesting. He's talking about good works. He's talking about obeying his commandments. He does that and gives us his spirit so that we can live a life that's pleasing to him. But he manifests himself in and through our lives so that we can obey them. And he gives us the capacity to do that. Now, jump down to verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, notice the we, we will come to him and make our home with him. So first he talked about the Jesus and the Father and the Father's and Jesus. And then he includes us, but now he includes all together and uses the word we. And that has that intimacy there. We'll make our home with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. 
And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And then notice in verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, whom, that's a, per, that's a personality word, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let your heart be, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't this picturing spiritual rest? Isn't this picturing rest for our souls? Peace is the opposite of war. <laughs> An internal war can be going on. He says, I don't want that to happen for you. I want, I want you to have peace. And I want you to have peace and not have your heart not be full of trouble or let it be afraid. Because of our lack of relationship with the Spirit at times, when He comes and helps us in our time of weakness, that helps us be more afraid because we're not trusting in Him to, to be our strength at that moment. We're trying to handle things in our own strength. It's a train wreck. It's a disaster. It's horrible. We, none of us do well under that. We have to go to Him when we're struggling and when we're afraid, and He gives us everything that we need. Now, John 15, real quick. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus is speaking this into the context of people who are fighting about who's the greatest. I love that. That brings so much comfort to me. And, and here he's saying, I'm responsible for your spiritual growth. Like I mentioned last week, Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh. But then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, totally different word. Because God is responsible for producing fruit through our lives. And trees and those, those things that bear fruit don't strive to bear the fruit. They bear the fruit because, it's a, they're, because they're tapped into to the root system and they are what they are. And so because of what Jesus does in our lives, he takes us and he prunes us and makes us more fruitful. Some of us are going through difficult situations precisely because he is pruning us so that we can be more fruitful. And at the time, we're, how can God do this? How could he allow this to happen? And he doesn't mean things for evil for us. He allows certain things and he takes advantage of them to, for our good, to make us closer to the Lord and to help us to be further conformed to the image of Christ. But the point of how he does that is by his Holy Spirit. And then he says, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Again, it's not just so that we can ask anything because we now have this genie now that we can just command to give us whatever we want. There's a reason for it because if his words are abiding in me and my heart is submitted to him and, and I know that he has expectations for me related to my life and that he wants me to be about good works but he knows I don't have the capacity to do it, then he's going to back up my prayer life and he's going to answer prayers for me. And, and that's one of the secrets to being fruitful is being a person of prayer. Now notice in verse 11 he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy, not yours, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. 
Now, to a person that's striving and a person that's trying to make things happen, a person that is doing things in their own strength, do you go to that person to experience joy? I mean, it just doesn't happen. The people that experience God's joy are letting God do the work in and through their life. I've, I've had some times with Pastor Chuck Smith talking with him. And that guy has more responsibility than I could ever dream about having. And he's full of joy. He has the famous cat grin. Oh, you know, and he, he's just like not a care in the world. Like you oversee so much. You could be so burdened down with needs and, and responsibility, but he's full of joy because he knows that if it's, God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. And he's been brought to that point, I'm sure, kicking and screaming at times in his Christian walk to learn that lesson. And, and so it's a beautiful picture of us and how God wants to work through our lives. Now he says in verse 16, drop down to verse 16, I'm almost done. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So he's appoint, called us, chosen us, appointed us, and anointed us to bear fruit. But we don't bear fruit by trying harder in our own strength. We bear fruit by going to him and letting his spirit lead us and speak to us, change our schedule. Rearrange our day planner. No, you're not doing that today. You thought you were, but you're not. This sermon is one of those examples. You thought you were teaching on Hebrews? You're not. You're teaching on this. Oh, God, help me. I don't know. I'm leaving in three hours. Yeah, I know, but I'm, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay, I'm going to the men's retreat. <laughs> and God's been faithful. But he does that in our lives all the time to get us to be dependent upon him. And it doesn't happen through striving and self-dependence. And then verse 26, and we only have a few more verses. He says, but, the, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And now, real quick, one last verse, I promise. Chapter uh, 16, verse 7. This is why I really want to focus on this this morning. Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, I'm sure the disciples would be very content at this time for him to say, it'll be the same as what it's been in your life. But he doesn't even say that. He goes one step higher. He says, to your advantage. Can you imagine them going, is this possible that this could be really what we're hearing? It's to our advantage that you go away. Not only won't, it won't be just as good, it'll be even better. Why? Because he goes away. Because they'll be dependent upon him and Jesus won't be limited to locality. They all can take him, uh, the, the, uh, the same helper that they've had, you know, another of the same kind, with them wherever they go as they're spread out like seed all the way through the, the, that early um, mission field there. And so it, w it was to their advantage. They couldn't be with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time for the rest of their lives. So because of the Spirit, we have the advantage. And He will lead us and He will guide us. He will empower us to live a life that's very fruitful and very busy about the Lord's business, but at the same time doing it in a way where I have rest for my soul. 
and his burden is light and his yoke is easy and I am just very and so we think that's impossible those two things can't happen at the same time they can the Lord Jesus modeled that for us and so that's where we just go to him and say Lord you rearrange my schedule You change what I'm supposed to be doing. You remind me to ask to be refilled with the Spirit. If you've been baptized with the Spirit, we often forget to to ask to be refilled. It happened all through the book of Acts. They were refilled. Many, many times a day I ask to be refilled. Sometimes I'll be in a conversation with someone, and I'll sense that I don't have anything (laughs) to say or I don't know how to respond, and I'll ask in my heart. They have no idea it's happening. Lord, freshly fill me with the Spirit. When I come into contact with a situation and I sense I don't have the power to be obedient to God's word, I ask to be refilled with the Spirit at that moment. And the fruit of the Spirit of self-control comes into play and he gives me the capacity to obey what he says. It's never failed in 23 years. It's never failed once. So that's dependent upon being dependent upon him. That's allowing him to be our helper. We shouldn't live in a practical way as if we don't have a helper even though we know in our heads we do. (laughs) We have to be dependent upon him, and then he will give us the capacity to live a life that's pleasing to him. And everyone around us will go, it's amazing what happens to that person. They're not trying super hard. They're just following Christ and obeying what his spirit says. But it's amazing what they accomplish, and they don't get burned out. That's the the key. They don't get burned out. They, They depend upon the Lord. So, I want to encourage you this morning, if you're striving, if you're working hard, if you feel like you've just failed over and over again, and we all fail, but that as we move closer to more dependence upon the Holy Spirit in our relationship with him, the more we're going to live the supernatural life that we've been called to in a way that brings him glory. Because that's what Jesus said in the passage, bring, it'll bring the Father glory when we do those things and bear fruit uh, like we're supposed to. So hopefully that's been an encouragement to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we do want to be empowered by you, and we want to have that relationship with your spirit that you've called us to. So help us, Lord, as your people, to take our lives and our schedules and everything before you and ask you to speak in a way that only you can to our hearts. Help us to be hypersensitive to your spirit's voice all the time, and that we would have the grace and the the power to be able to make those adjustments so that we live a life that's dependent upon you. Lord, would you make our lives have no explanation for them apart from your spirit and the same for our church? We want our lives to be a representation of a life that's surrendered to you and empowered by you. We thank you that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you that we have no advantage over the early church. They had all the resources they need to live a life that would be pleasing to you. And we're grateful, Lord, we get to walk in that same proficiency that you give us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.